Hey, Old Worlders, Future Lance here. When we started this episode, we were really excited to get into Middenball and try out the rules. And uh, as part of that, we came up with this great idea. We're going to go through all the rules in detail. Then we're going to actually play a game and record it and then kind of give our thoughts at the very end. However, things didn't go as planned. And spoiler alert, we get to the end and we really can't even finish playing a single game uh, because we just don't find the rules usable. Because of this, we ended up originally recording this at multiple recording sessions, trying to make this work. And what we have is we kind of thrown this all together into one episode. Instead of the multiple episodes we planned, just because of the way that the content all worked out. So having said that, we start off, what you're going to hear is the first part of this episode, the vast majority of it, like probably the first hour or so, is us talking about the rules and how they work. And at that point, we actually thought that this was going to work fine, and we did run into a couple questions. We had concerns about how it might play, but we decided we're going to push forward and go ahead and play a game and uh, work through it. So the second part of that is us actually making that attempt. You can hear us try to work our way through the rules and play a round or two of Min and Ball. And that timestamp starts at about 1 hour 18 minutes. So if you want to skip ahead to that section... Um, however, it doesn't go really well. We try, and, and by the end, we get frustrated, and we end up just kind of giving our final thoughts. So if you're looking to skip ahead just to our final thoughts on mid and ball and, and how we think it you know, can be used and not used in your Wolfrup games, then go ahead and skip ahead to the one-hour, 40-minute mark. This is definitely not a standard, but we hope you guys enjoy. Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. This is a bonus episode. Uh, this episode is off our normal kind of setup on how we do things because we have a special treat planned for you. Um, but before we get into that, first uh, I want to say I'm not doing this alone. Today uh, I'm, I'm Lance and uh, I'll be... Not a GM, but kind of a player and a GM, sort of, in, in this crazy world, what you're going to see. But I'm also joined by my co-player, co-host, co-GM, co-person of awesomeness, Matt. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing quite well. And let me just say, ladies and gentlemen, orcs and goblins, humans and halflings, in association with the Middenheimer United Confederation of Snotballers... We will be playing Midden Ball, Midden Ball today. Brought to you by Von Holes Quality Lamp Oil. If you're not on fire, you're doing it wrong. Also brought to you by Von Holes Quality Midden Ball Balls. If your Midden Ball Ball isn't on fire, it's not Von Holes. And our third sponsor of the day, Wolf Shield Shields. If there's not a wolf on the shield, why do you even have it? Is it a shield? I say no. Either way, it's scary looking. <laughs> so, uh, Old Worlders, if you can't tell, today we're doing this special bonus episode to talk about and to play a game of Midden Ball. Um, specifically, the advanced rules of Midden Ball, which can be found in Middenheim City of the White Wolf on page 143. It's about, what, 
five pages long? One, two, three, four. It is five pages. Five. Yep. It's the first appendix in that book, which we did review a few episodes ago. So you can go back and listen to it. And if I recall right, our initial review, not having actually played a game of it, uh, wasn't wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like, you know, uh, we were we were hating on it too hard, but it didn't just based on a read through of the rules. It didn't really jump out as something that we thought would play very well or be that interesting on the table. And uh, Lance and I thought to ourselves, you know what? Let's let's not assume. Let's do this and give it a real chance. So yeah, we are going to uh, give you a brief rules overview on how midden ball is played and functionally how it works within the uh, confines of the game system. And then we're going to play through a game of it for you. Should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And I do want to mention this is a bonus episode. So our show notes, everything that we're doing today is a little more off the cuff, a little looser than normal, if you will. Um, so bear with us. But we're planning to have a lot of fun with this. And uh, and I'll, first off, I did want to mention it's episode 35, Middenheim City of the White Wolf. If you want to go back and uh, listen to our initial thoughts on that appendix. I think I was the one that was most harsh on it just because I felt like it wasn't easy to understand in the read through. And and as Matt said, essentially, I just I felt like I need to go try it before I like I really need to have a good understanding and you can't know until you play. So that's what yeah. we're doing. But it's worth noting that actually the first rules that we had for Bidden Ball were way back in Rough Nights and Hard Days. So this true. Was listed as one of the the pub game, which this is definitely not a not a pub game, but uh, rules for it were in the pub games appendix in Rough Nights and Hard Days. So in Middenheim, City of the White Wolf, we get those basic rules, which is quite literally a single paragraph that's just opposing uh, melee or or athletics tests back and forth until one player gets or one team gets up to uh, twenty five points. So not. Not anything complicated or crazy there. Not really much of a uh, game other than just die rolling. But it does uh, take into account things like advantage. Yeah, I'm getting That's, out. That is one way, to, one way to play it out. I'm getting out my physical dice for this game, too. I'm just throwing that oh, out me there. me too. In my uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay dice tray, the poly... How do you say that? Polypropylene or something? I don't know. Mouse pad <laughs> that's turned into a dice tray. Which there's some new ones of that out too. I'm excited, and because it's a bonus episode, we're allowed to drink while we while we play. That's that's Indeed. not something that's normally allowed. So my my good buddy Matt, what's your drink of choice tonight? Uh oh boy, today I'm drinking a hearty raspberry lemonade. Mm, Ooh, raspberry. That sounds Von Holes quality raspberry <laughs> lemonade. It doesn't burn your throat, is it, Von Holes? The answer is no. <laughs> that's awesome. I actually have two drinks. Because neither one I thought was going to last me through the uh, the episode. Um, so I have an Izzy Sparkling Blackberry uh, Juice Beverage, which uh, my wife had and I decided to try it. And it's um not great, but I'm going to muscle through. And <laughs> the other thing I got is Virgil's Handcrafted Vanilla Cream Soda. Um, oh, whoa. Take it easy, Lance. Yeah. Yep. For the, for the record. need you blacking out before we're done here. <laughs> they don't mix well. <laughs> I don't doubt that. One sounds delicious. One sounds awful. And uh, you can guess which one I think is which. Oh, awesome. All right, man. So let's start it off, man. So we talked about the quick play rules already, and they're pretty straightforward. Um, but the real reason we're here is not for no stupid quick play, right? 
which don't get me wrong, quick play is awesome. And it is a great thing. I think most of the time, if you're going to use those those rules, you'll be happy with it. But that's not how we roll. Right. And I feel like those the quick play rules, not to like disregard them too quickly. There is certainly a time and place for that. If you wanted to simulate a game or if you wanted to simulate scores, it's very fast. Right. I mean, you could do a whole quick play of a full game within a few minutes. Right. Or, so like, if, you know, it might be a fun way to do a season, too. So GMs, here's some ideas for you. Right. So, like, let's say that your players are really, really into mid and ball. Don't you don't necessarily I mean, unless that's your 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 thing that you want to do and you every session you're playing a game of mid and ball, that could be fun. But maybe they play a game of mid and ball like only in between sessions. Right. You do when you're at an in between sessions, you guys play a game of mid and ball. And in the meantime, with when you're off adventuring, what happens with the rest of the season and the other teams? Well, you could easily have your players use the quick play rules like every game every session to simulate what's going on back home in the league. Well, and I even think there's some other, other interesting things you could do with that utilizing those quick play rules. What if you had somebody that was really into gambling, right? You could yeah. make bets on what team was going to, going to win or what the score was going to be. Um, or what if one of your players was a noble or somebody of influence and maybe they owned a team, mm. you know, it's their, mm. it's their team. I think there's a lot of interesting things that could come into play with that. Okay. Uh, here's for our question. purposes today. Here's oh, yeah, a question for you. Here's a question for you. As a GM, do you let do you let your players in that situation use their fortune on on these games? Um yeah, I mean I, I definitely think so. I think so too. I mean, it's it's I mean for, you're, fortune you're is all your... it it pulls you out of the you know, out of like the immersion of the game, right? Being able to physically re roll you know, decide that, oh, this isn't good enough. I'm going to do it again. So if they're spending it then, then they won't have it for later. And that uh-huh. makes more opportunities for us to throw um, <laughs> corruption their way. So, yeah, I mean, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Anytime you can get your players to spend fortune on things that have nothing to do with combat, for me as a GM, is pretty much an awesome feeling. So... I I I think you guys. I'm trying to think of specific, but I feel like there's been situations where you've. I, I don't know. I don't feel like you've ever thrown away fortune, but I definitely feel like you've thrown away corruption sometimes. I think it's it's one of those things where you got plenty of corruption threshold until you don't. Right. <laughs> which is where which is where Steve is sitting with Conrad, like that poor guy. He's like constantly asking me, you know on the phone like hey so when are we going to cleanse a temple or something (laughs) right i feel like uh lynn uh, janet's character is is accrued a fair bit of corruption as well she she gotta be careful lynn could be incredibly dangerous with some of those mental corruption deals so well i know you and i want to see that happen but i am certain that she does not (laughs) all right so let's get into minute ball Let's so, do it. Uh, in my introduction up there, I mentioned the uh, Middenheimer United Confederation of Snotballers, which is the official like ruling body, uh, also known as the Mucus. They compete <laughs> for the Mucus Cup, and they have a list of regulations. Do you want to go through some of those, Lance? Yeah, yeah. And this is so as I'm actually a soccer, um, not anymore, but I used to be like a registered soccer referee. I used to referee uh, high school soccer games. Uh, 
so the rules of the game is something that's called for soccer. This is clearly built off of that same sort of concept. So a lot of these are very similar. They're talking about the size of the plane, the pitch, right? The pitch is, is uh, what you call a soccer field if you're uh, – and, and sorry, I'm saying soccer, but I should probably say football because uh, most of the rest of the world calls soccer football. That's our American name for it. So a pitch, uh, they give you size of the pitch. The, the number of players on each team is 11 players plus two additional substitutes, two halves with 30 minutes each with a 15-minute halftime. Yeah, two additional periods of 10 minutes each are played, which... Right, if there's if overtime is needed. Right, and, so, and that's one of my first... Uh, there's a couple of times where the rules conflict themselves, and that's one of them, for the record. Um, the rule book later talks about how many turns uh, overtime is, and it's definitely not 10 minutes. Um, right. Yeah, so anyway... It's like, uh, it's like, it's a, like six, six turns, right? Um, I think each each turn is represents three minutes. I want to say, okay, yeah, three minutes of play each, approximately. So the first half time, I mean, there we don't have to get into this right now, but they talk about an additional ten turns for the first half time or the first overtime, which well, ten turns is thirty minutes. So, but right. the rules of the mucus regulations say ten minutes, which should be three turns. Right. Or four, maybe. Right. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Not a big deal, but it's it's pretty interesting. There's a few other really cool ones in here. I know you want to call yeah. out the cool ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, weapons are prohibited and a male coif is the only metal armor to be worn. Uh, generally, leather armor is going to be the main thing that uh, players are going to be wearing. No spells or blessings can be used at all. The a prone player, so somebody knocked down, must be spared further assault. Uh, one of my favorite ones is if the need to bury a deceased player should arise during the game, it is to be done without impeding play. How fun is that? Mm-hmm. I was telling Lance before we started that this reading through this reminds me so much of a an old Sega Genesis game called Mutant League Football that was American football, but you played as these like superhumans and aliens and orcs and um robots and skeletons and you know there's like landmines on the field and fire pits and you could electrify the ball to where if it got intercepted they'd they'd be electrocuted uh you could kill other players you could kill the ref all sorts of just (laughs) gory i didn't know you could kill the ref that's oh yeah it was great you could actually call (laughs) audibles at the line and one of the audibles you could call would be just to straight up kill the ref it was uh, like a 10 yard penalty and every ref had a different funny name. Like the first referee was called Deaf Blinders. <laughs> and then every time you'd kill it, another one would come out and they'd have another, you know, funny name. It's a great game. And honestly, to this day, it's one of the one of the games from my Sega Genesis that I still like anytime that gets pulled out, I guarantee I will have played a couple games of Mutant League football for sure. Nice. Yeah, I think the the real world combination of this is kind of like a you take like rugby, Australian football, yeah. American football, and then just football or soccer and combine them all with may- sure. maybe a little seasoning of Blood Bowl in there. And that's what you yeah. got. Yeah, because you have you're not just kicking the ball, right? You have the ability to throw it or just um, run with it or or run with it. Right. Which yeah. has the definitely has you can see little bits of all the sports in here, which I yeah. think is it's kind of a nice touch. Yep. All right. So how do you play the game? I think that's kind of the next big, the big question. 
And so one of my I, I want to one of my initial critiques of this was the fact that I didn't like the way the rules were laid out because it r- talks to you about like how a turn works. But then it doesn't tell you how you start the game until later. So to me, it didn't make sense. Tell me how the game starts at the beginning. So like you have the kickoff and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. but let's so we'll talk about kickoff in a little bit. Let's talk about just how a normal game works, how it's broken down. So each each turn is broken up into four different phases. Oh, you know, there's the before we jump into this. Should we talk about how the teams because I think it's going to be important to understand brutes and athletes and all that before yeah, we talk about yeah go ahead i skipped ahead a little bit on this so my bad but no um actually let's let's talk about, so mid and ball first you need to know about your teams we already know that teams that are 11 players plus two substitutes so you have 13 people on a team and each team is made up of three types of players brutes athletes and dwarfs um now there are standard players that don't fall into those categories yeah but there's stat stat blocks there are standard oh, yeah. stat blocks on page 143, so you don't yeah. have to like generate a character for every single one of these. We there are standard stat blocks for them, for the the brute, the athlete, and the dwarf. But you can clearly see what they're designed to be good at, right? Athletics right. for the athlete, melee brawling for the the brutes, right? Yeah, it even says that the the muscular brutes have a talent for hurting people. The lithe athletes with a talent for avoiding being hurt and dwarves and <laughs> <laughs> dwarves, which is the third. So brutes, athletes and dwarves each yeah, again with their standard stat block. You can tell that, you know, athletes have a very high athletic score, uh, have a high dodge score, whereas brutes are going to be great with brawling and less good with athletics and dodge. The dwarves, as you'll see when we continue talking about it, they're kind of right in the middle. They aren't as specialized in either category, and a little bit more like rounded, well-rounded overall. Yeah, but see, I think with the dwarves, you end up with the significant differences, a little bit better toughness, a little bit better wounds, uh, much better willpower, which doesn't come into play much, I don't think. So so they can take a little bit more. But when you think about it, one of their biggest, I don't know if I would say flaw, but downsides is their movement. Because dwarves have a movement of three, right? Sure. And Whereas athletes have five. You can, I mean... Right. If you think which, about uh foot race between the two, there's no no comparison there. And you actually end up using the chase rules in this game. So your movement speed can actually matter. For sure. So like I don't know how like an athlete, right, because your standard human has a movement of five or a four, but maybe they have the sprinter talent or something, because I know uh, sprinter, I think sprinter gives you plus one when you're running, so Anyway, uh, and they they kind of allude to this as well. When you're actually playing the game, you don't necessarily want to have a full list of 13 fully fleshed out characters that you've you've built together um, and keeping track of every single one during play, because that would be super tedious. And I think it, it just it would take away from the overall fun of it. Whereas having a couple players that you you fully flesh out that are your superstar players, right? You could have somebody that did have that talent and, you know, they're great at running the ball. If they can get out and get, get free from blockers and from brutes, they could, you know, uh, get a score fairly early on. So if you're playing this in your groups, don't be afraid to make a couple players per team that are going to be your standout players that have those, those better stats and, you know, those talents other than just the, 
kind of the basic ones that you get if you're just playing with the standard stat blocks. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's a lot of fun things you could do with this because if you really enjoyed it, can you imagine like make as a group, make, uh, let's say 10 players or 15 players or something and then do a draft? Yeah, this could, I mean, you could definitely take this uh, and really, really run with it. No pun intended. (laughs) With uh, some world building and team building and even a league, right? I mean, you could pick a location within the world and put together, you know, a half dozen teams, each with their own, you know, uh, based on a different city with a coach and with you really could go a long way with it. And honestly, that might be something that would be really fun for, uh, you know, a short campaign. Have a have a yeah. campaign around your team traveling. You know, you can be have your players are uh, actual athletes on the team. And you're traveling around to the different locations to play and what kind of antics you're going to get in on the way. And you find out that there's, you know, uh, performance enhancing, you know, legal <laughs> materials being used and all sorts of uh, shenanigans. So there's there's enough here to do some really fun stuff with it for sure. I agree. So you have your players. Now, the important part is, is we, we talked about athletes and brutes, right? So they're important for generating your team's A and B scores. A is for athletics. Yep. B is for brutality. Um, for athletes or athletics, you get two athletics per athlete and one athletic for brute or dwarf. So so literally what you're doing here is you're going to ha- essentially have 13 players and you got to figure out how many of those players are brutes, how many are athletes, how many are dwarfs. And then you add up the athletics and the brutality score for each player for so for athletes they get two athletics and one brutality for brutes they get two brutality and one athletic and for dwarfs they get two brutality and one athletic yep which this uh isn't hard to calculate right you basically are just looking at your brutes and your athletes adding those numbers up and this comes into play in a couple different ways so uh, and I like this, too, because it doesn't have you focus on individual player stats, but your team as a whole, how athletic is your team, how brutish is your team. And those are going to affect die rolls that come into play later in the game throughout the game. I think it's a really elegant way of doing that, that encourages quick play without uh, letting you, again, bog down too much in the nitty gritty of it. Yeah. Now, one thing I think is interesting is they talk about how you can add a player character into this. So if you add a player character, really, whether you make them an an athletic or a brute is based on whether they have a melee brawling of 50 or more or which would make them a brute or they'll be an athlete if they have an athletics of 50 or more. But here's the interesting part. If they don't have 50 or more in either of those, then you just add one. Instead of two and one, like you get one in each. So you can actually, essentially, you're not a good mid and ball player. <laughs> right. Um, and then I think I want to take this time to really stress this because this is something that wasn't clear to me the first couple of times I read the rules is you don't need to know where all the players are and what all the players and you're doing. You don't have to track 22 people, basically. Um, or at least that's the way it seems. We're going to play it here in a second. It seems it's much more nebulous and it's weird because I feel like the rules aren't clear that it's nebulous. 
even though they kind of say directly, but it's it still wasn't clear to me. So going through and kind of really trying to make a team and all that really helped me understand the rules better. But Right, which if you really think about it, and I'll use American football as an example, when the quarterback gets the ball on any given play, right, a, a standard offense versus defense play, not a special teams or anything. <laughs> you realize we got... just lost half our viewers or listeners. That's, that's all right. <laughs> I mean, I, I hopefully what I'm about to say will make sense. Uh, so on a given play, you there's only a handful of players that are going to have a significant impact on the outcome, right? You have a quarterback that has the ball. Either they're going to hand it off to a running back or they're going to throw it for a pass. So in in a given play, you have the quarterback uh, and either the running back or a receiver that are going to have a significant impact on that play. And then on the defense, you know, you might have somebody that's able to rush in and uh, try to sack the quarterback or they're going to make a big defensive play. So on any given play in American football, there's 22 players on the field, but only realistically on again, on an average play, only four or five of those players are going to have any uh, significant impact on how, what's going to happen in that uh, in that play. So that's a good way to think about this, right? If right. you had to calculate all the stats and make rules for all players, it would it would take a day to play a game. Right. And that's definitely not the point. Well said. All right. So, you know, your players, you know how players work, you know where their stats are, you know how your team athletics and brutality scores are calculated. So now how do you play the game? So as we said before, mucus regulations say that there are two 30 minute halves with a 15 minute halftime, which is not super important. Um, you could heal players potentially in that time frame or something. In each half, those 30 See, minutes. Uh, I, I feel like the halftime, well, within the confines of these rules doesn't have a, you know, there's not anything really that happens in there. You can try to heal players. But I, I feel like knowing how nasty Warhammer is and this game is that, like, players would doctor up their, you know, their gloves to have, like, little spikes sticking out of them or, <laughs> you know, take uh get juiced up somehow or or even though it's against regulations getting a blessing or getting a having a you know somebody cast a spell anything like that to get some advantage or you know to be able to to brutalize the other team a little bit more it seems like halftime would be a great opportunity to uh even the playing field if you will yeah i just had this thought little necromatic magic on the sidelines didn't he die last half he's back <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry undead jokes so good <laughs> so each turn like we talk about is approximately three minutes so you get 10 turns per half so how does the turn work there are four phases in each turn the team phase the movement phase the action phase and a random event so so matt why don't you take us through the first phase the team yeah. phase so Four phases might seem like a lot, but really a couple of those you're going to blow through very quickly. It, it is quite literally as simple as rolling on a table. So the team phase starts with rolling on two tables that in Middenheim City of the White Wolf, you'll find on page 145. So this is the athletics table and the brutality table. And this is where those uh, A and B scores are going to come into play. We say score. It's not like a, a you know points in game. Again, it's the the athletics, the overall athletic ability of your team, team. and the overall 
brutality or uh you know brute uh strength of your team so so going forward listeners we're going to refer to the athletics as the a score and the brutality is the B score. We're going to refer it to right. your A and your B for your team yep. because that'll be easy. So we don't have to keep explaining it. Yep. So basically, this is almost like a, a bit of tug of war between the two teams. So when you roll on the athletics table, this is going to determine in a given play overall what what uh, how it's starting to unfold. Not the exact things that are happening. But this will give you an opportunity to like have a player that makes uh, makes a breakout and is you know in a better position to to catch a pass or to uh, shoot for us to score a goal or um, kind of like a, a general way of seeing how the play is unfolding. So the way that works is on the athletics table, you roll a d100, add the home team's a score, and subtract the away team's a score. So essentially, if you know, and it's uh, unless you are substituting players or that score changes throughout the course of the game, you can calculate that right at the beginning and see what what you're going to add or subtract to that table. So you roll on the table and it's going to give you a result, something like uh, an away team player is positioned um, in the halfback area of the pitch. If passed to this turn, they can shoot. So that basically gives them a free opportunity to try to score a goal. Uh, if an away team player is positioned in the midfield area of the pitch and pass two, they can score. If the home team shows slight dominance, add five to their A score for the next turn. Uh, home team players positioned in the forward area, if they're pass two, they can they can shoot. So this uh, is a way of, to randomize some of those things that uh, uh, where where players are going to be positioned on the field. And, and I think well, it also does a good job. This is to be clear. This is kind of showing like players that have gotten free or open yes right where they're they're yep. not being marked close enough where you could get if you can get the ball to them they have an opportunity to shoot right right so this is this is what that is I also wanted to point out too um th- in this phase it's interesting both teams will roll on both tables right which is which seems a little weird but it's 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 not this that's not the way for all the phases so right Yep. So you've got the athletics table and then the same function is going to happen for the brutality table. So roll a D 100 add the home team's B score, subtract the away team's B score. Uh, and it's similar, right? If you get right in the center on either of the tables, there's no special effect, uh, you know, on the brutality table, uh, slight, um, score either way, you know, the home team or away team shows more aggression, add five to their B score, home team players badly hurt, reduce the A teams, uh, Reduce the team's A and B score by one each. Home team players rattled. Reduce the team's A and B score by one uh, for one turn. The away team player suffers a critical injury and is removed from play. Subtract that player's A and B score from the team total. If there are no substitute players available, the home team players becomes a free player, which we'll explain in a little bit. Yeah. Yep. So again, rolling on these tables is just going to uh, help determine a, uh, a a kind of like a general sense for how uh the action is on unfolding on the on the field absolutely to me as we're talking about this i'm getting more and more excited to play honestly so yeah and honestly i mean i think once you you kind of separate the idea that you have to keep track of like a hundred different things and you realize that like you're it's a simulation of 
a lot of things happening at once, the way that they simplify it, it does make a lot more sense, I feel. Yeah. So that takes us on to the second part of the turn, the second phase. Well, let me let me say one more oh. thing real quick. Uh, in some cases, it it doesn't refer to like specific players. It just says, uh, you know, uh, an away team player, a home team player. In those cases, there's a table that you roll on. Uh, very simple, you know, one through. Uh, it's just roll a d10, and depending on what you roll, that'll that'll uh, help you determine which player on your team is going to be the one that's affected by uh, the die roll on the brutality or on the athletics table. Yep, absolutely. And so, so moving on to the movement phase, this allows like important individual players and in, in other players to work out what they can do. Now, I think it's important here. This is one of the pieces that like, if you miss this, this game can sound super complicated because the question is, is how many players how ma- on your team? You have 11 players on your team, right? 11 that's on the field, plus two substitutes. Are you going to move every single player, all 11 players? No. Right? So how do you figure out who you can and can't move, Matt? So it really is, more than anything, it comes down to how, how much you want to do right you can you certainly could do a lot more than just a couple players but the ones that must be accounted for are any pcs that are in the game which makes sense mm-hmm. uh whoever is in possession of the ball obviously that's going to be where the main focus of the game is one opposition player for each uh pc and or player that's in possession of the ball and then any free players that are determined from the team phase so pcs that are in the game player that's in possession of the ball and then uh as as an equal number on the opposing team so realistically in a game you may only have two players on a side that you're actually uh keeping track of their movements uh and that's where you can already see that it's not not doesn't have to be ultra complex right because in theory i mean if you don't have it let's say you're playing the game without any pcs which probably doesn't make sense in an actual game of Woofrup, but it could be the case, right? Let's maybe your players are spectators, you know, maybe they're controlling the teams, but you know, they're not directly involved or whatever. I mean, you could feasibly have one player that's going to move during the movement phase, the person right. with the ball. And then, yep. And, and then one player on the, on the right opposition yep. that and is one player, tracking yep. them or, And that makes it nice and easy. So if I'm going to move three players, you get to move three players. If I'm going to move one player, you get to move one player. This is how it works. This is the way. And then it's, then it's just right. This is the way (laughs) Uh, it's just assumed that all the other players are doing what they would do normally. Right. Right. So just, it's, they're in a fist fight, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah. They're marked. They can't get open. You know, so you have five options for movement during this phase. Vance, why don't you run through those? Okay, so starting off is is move to mark the play. This is so that your the player here can move to a player within two bands of them in in order to mark them. So the idea here is like, oh man, you have a guy that has the ball that's ready to shoot. I want to go mark them. I want to make it harder for them to shoot. Try to block their shot, block their pass, or whatever they might do. So. That that might be where you can move your player. Um, and this is interesting because 
you use a three round pursuit. So literally you have to go to the Wolfrop Core rulebook on page 166 and then figure out where your character is and where they are. And this is where you're using your movement um, and figure out like, uh, you know, whether or not they catch, you can catch the player. So it's it's super interesting, and I'm I'm not gonna lie. Until we actually do this in the game, I'm I'm curious to see how this is gonna work because I'm not entirely sure like how how well it's gonna work. That is, um, that's the move to mark. Yeah, yeah. So what about change position? So change position. You the player makes a challenging athletics test to move one band per success level. So let let's explain bands a little bit. So. The pitch, the field that you play on is, um, what did it say? 20 yards, not 20 yards, 200 feet uh, by 85 feet is the size of the field. So it's broken up into six sections. So think of a field, if you're looking at it in a, like a landscape orientation, the, it's split into two halves. Each of those halves are split into three sections. Uh, there's the home field, midfield, away midfield, which are the bands that are closest to uh, the very center. And then half back is on the home side, half forward is on the away side, and then full back and forward on um, the opposite sides as well. So instead of having it uh, moving a certain number of specific feet or a certain number of yards or meters, they have it to where you're just moving from one band to another. So if you're throwing the ball and you're only throwing one band ahead, which would be the equivalent of throwing like let's say throwing a ball like 10 yards, uh, that is going to be a lot easier than if you're throwing across the full band, which would be throwing the equivalent of like 30 yards. Uh, same thing with kicking. You can kick the ball within the same band with a very minimal detriment or no detriment to your role. Whereas if you're kicking across the whole field, which would be across two bands, it's going to be a negative 40 to your test. So the bands are your way of determining how far the ball is being moved uh, that, again, will simplify it a little bit. So changing position lets you make a, take a player, make a challenging athletics test to move one band per success level up to a maximum of their movement. And if you're in possession of the ball, then you'll take a negative 10 penalty to that test because you are obviously keeping track of the ball as you're going. All right. So the next item is the next movement thing you can do is move to guard. And you you can move your player up to two bands in order to interpose themselves between a player in possession of the ball um, and either a goal or another player. So to pride it to make it harder to shoot or pass. Now, I should mention this is very similar to what I explained in move to mark. But the difference here is, is move to guard is essentially I'm moving to be in the way to make it harder for you to shoot or pass move to mark uses up the movement of both the player and the target that they're going after. So you can move to mark, and if you succeed, you'll essentially not only be guarding them, but like blocking, you know, you'll have forced that other player to use up their movement. Whereas move to guard is more about just positioning yourself in such a way that you're going to try to intercept a goal or, you know, a pass. Right. Again, I think this will become a lot more clear in play, or at least I hope. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. Next up is move to get the ball. So this is if nobody is in possession of the ball uh, and it's on the pitch within two bands of a player, that player can 
move to try to become the person who becomes in possession of the ball. And it doesn't actually give you a test to make in this case. Um, it's just if you're within two bands, you can go and get it. And that's that. Yeah, which, again, see, this is one of those things where I feel like it's not clear, right? It doesn't make sense right. to not to not have a test to move to get the ball, but just to change position, I need a test. Right. So maybe the test is if I have the ball or, hmm, I don't know. That's true. Um, you would think that a circumstance like that, that it would almost be, uh, it should be like an opposed athletics test, that if there's two players that are both, you know, near enough or within the same number of bands that whoever, you know, you both roll and whoever gets the uh, uh, more success levels or a better result would be the one that gets it. Uh, definitely not super clear on exactly how that works. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if the intent is that you should make the test. They just didn't put it there. Right. I don't know. Cause even that's, that's how the kickoff at the beginning of the game right. is, you know, you, uh, two players make an opposed athletics test. The winner becomes the player in possession of the ball. And that's that. Yeah. Oh. All right. So moving on for our fifth option for the movement phase is stay put. This is super simple. You don't move, but you get a plus 10 to ballistic skill test. You make this turn, which is essentially passing or shooting. So, right. Exactly. So this is, you know, t- taking that moment to line up your shot, whether you're shooting it or you're passing it. Uh, this is, and getting a plus 10 to your result on that can be significant considering if you're going to try to make a, a long pass or a, you know, a long throw or a long shot, you could be looking at a a pretty heavy negative to your ballistic skill test. Right. So next is the action phase. I have a question for you, Matt, because when I was reading this, I wasn't sure on this, right? Because once movement is resolved, the players involved decide on which of the following plays to make. So is players referring to the the people that moved, right? The players that you ad- identified in the game, or is it speaking about the players playing the game? It's uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting. This uh, part of my like board gaming background, uh, the fact that this isn't clear is actually is is pretty detrimental because. It says players involved decide on which of the following plays to make. The plays are resolved in the order listed. If two players make take the same play, they act in initiative order. Oh, so so I wonder if you do this in secret, right? So like if we each had right. two players that were active in the movement phase, right? Then we essentially write down what those two players are going to do, and then we reveal them simultaneously, and then go right. in order. So that right simultaneous action selection yeah is, See, you'd is almost, pretty key right you'd have to do that because in a competitive right like you could run into that problem where oh well if you're going to throw the ball then I'm going to attack instead right. or exactly yeah. well the other thing that's interesting though is I'm trying to wonder trying to like figure how that would really come into play that often um, because if you're if you're not in possession of the ball you're going to attack pretty much every time. That's a good point, right? Because we haven't talked about the the four options, but right. Let's go through those real quick. Yeah. So yeah. So the thr- first one is is throw ball. Yep. Player in possession of the ball may throw it at the goal or to another player to see if the throw is accurate. Make a ballistic skill test. Difficulty depends on the distance, which is again in the diagram. 
the field diagram that is in uh, in the book. Right. So uh, the receiving player must pass an athletics test to become the next player in possession of the ball. So, for example, if you're throwing within the same range band, it is an average ballistic skill test plus 20. If you're throwing from your range band to an adjacent one, it's a plus zero ballistic skill test. And if you're throwing it across one, which, for example, would be throwing it from halfback on the home field side to the away midfield, it is a hard negative 20 test. But you can really see having that that plus 10 benefit by staying put during your move phase could have a pretty big impact. There's a lot. I mean, it's going to add up too. like if you have someone blocking you, too. You don't want to be at a at that point. You could be in a minus 30 if you moved. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, next up is attack, which honestly sounds like the funnest one out there. A player may attack another. This is worked out as one round of unarmed combat, which. So if you have an attacker, I'm assuming. So it's essentially literally one roll. Right. And you can attack. So it's interesting here. This is unarmed combat. So this is going to use melee brawling. And if you inflict an entangled condition on a player, if they're in possession of the ball, the attacker can either choose to release the player and remove the entangled condition, but they'll get the ball. So they can keep them entangled or they can let them not have an entangled position or a condition and then steal the ball. This is how you steal the ball, basically. Or, I mean, you don't have to attack the player with the ball. (laughs) I want to point that out. I was just looking to see if there are any um, like talents that would benefit Entangled. So I'm just looking at the core book right now. I'm just doing a find. There are miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple miracles, but again, those are technically Man, not. See, that's an adventure right there. If you got players involved in this, right? Mucus officials believe that one team is cheating by using... Uh, miracles in play, but right. they haven't been or able spells, to prove yeah. it. So you're going to have to join the team incognito to figure out who's the culprit and what's happening. Right. Gosh, See, that sounds like an awesome adventure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It does quickly kind of running through here. I don't really see a whole lot of instances where that would come into play again, following the regulations that are on there, not being able to use spells and miracles that's that's where you're going to get a lot of that. Obviously, there's weapons that have that, too. But again, you're not really going to have weapons very often. Right. Or not legally, at least. So I guess, yeah, I think more than anything, what that's referring to is grappling, which is something that you can do within unarmed combat. Exactly. So if, you, if you're doing this, having a copy of the unarmed combat rules, which are on page 163 of the core book, I think are going to be really important incredibly important for sure yep in fact i'm going to turn there now so that i'm ready all right so next up is a kickball so this action may be taken by players who did not move or who dribbled while moving um and so a player in possession of the ball can kick it at the goal or another player if the kick is accurate to see if it's accurate make a ballistic skill test the difficulty of the test depends on the distance as on the diagram and the receiving player must pass an athletics test to become the next player in possession of the ball. So you could have a good ballistic skill test, but your receiver, the person you're passing it to doesn't have a good athletics test. Now the ball's essentially a free ball, right? Where it's out there and you can, you can kick the ball towards the goal, which 
the next, the last one is shoot, right? So help me understand this, because here's another part that I'm confused on. So I think the difference between kicking the ball and shooting. Yeah, so yeah. it specifies that uh, if you're in a good position to shoot as a result of the athletics table, you can immediately take a shot. So this is, I think, different than... Um, I I feel like it would resolve in a in a different uh in a different phase that shooting you're not based on the role you know looking at the athletics table uh the home team player's position in the half forward area of the pitch if passed to this turn they can shoot so if you're you kick the ball to them normally they just accept the ball but shooting is something that happens immediately so like if you if you kick the ball to them, they can immediately take a shot as soon See, that, as they get the ball. That doesn't make sense to me because it clearly states in the action phase that these are resolved in the order listed. And shoot is number four. Well, yeah. Hmm. Now you got a good point. If a player who has received the ball is noted as being in good position to shoot as a result of the athletics table, they may immediately take a shot. So maybe the thing is, this is, is resolved that, as a kickball, right? So kickball can only be taken if you did not move or dribbled. So maybe someone could pass the ball to you by throwing it, which is arguably much easier to do. And then you can immediately shoot. I think the only way you can shoot with that, with by, by doing the shoot action is if, you had an appropriate role on the athletics table where right. it specifically says if passed you, they can shoot, you know, if passed you, they can shoot. Here's the thing. Let's say that I have a player that's up way up on forward and I throw them the ball. Let's say they move to a forward position and I throw them the ball, right? I cannot. Nope. Because, no, in that case, you could throw it in the goal using a ballistic test versus shooting, which is the same thing. You would just do a kickball, but use a ballistic skill test. I think it's all There's just There's literally a no of... difference. <laughs> I don't understand why shoot exists. Like, there is no difference. Shoot is a kickball. The, the difference, so a kickball, you can only kick a ball. Here's, I think what it's saying is, if if the player that you're either throwing the ball to or kicking the ball to is considered to be in a good position based on that uh, the athletics table, they just immediately take that action. That uh, immediately I think, when? I think when they receive the ball. Think about it like a one timer in in uh, hockey, right? Like you pass somebody the puck, they don't catch it, and then you know deke a couple times and then shoot. As soon as the puck is in their range, they make a shot. And I think that's the intention here as well. That I think the biggest thing that's confusing is so, so you're, the you're plays arguing... are resolved in the order listed. That shoot will take precedent over anything else. That if the player who received the ball is considered being in good position, again, that's based on the athletics table rule, then they can just immediately shoot the ball. Or at least that's how I would play it. So, so you're saying, so, all right, we're in the action phase. I use my first action to throw the ball to a player positioned at the forward area of the pitch. They receive it. And regardless of the fact that 
you might want to attack another player or kickball or all these other things. I can just shoot. Immediately. Right. That's the that's the advantage that you had from the athletics table roll. So home team player position in the forward area of the pitch. If passed through this turn, they can shoot. Okay, great. So there's this player. So, oh, but they might not be one of the players in the movement section. Just because there's a player there doesn't mean they're one of the ones chosen in the movement section. Mm. I think you're right. And I think this this is this is now my biggest beef with with these rules. Sure. Yep. Okay. It's just so not it's, it's it so is, it's it so is, not clear. It is not clear. You're totally yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So to sum it up, old worlders, it sounds like the shoe is literally it says immediately take the shot. So if they get the ball, they can shoot. Boom. Yeah. That's that's so how I'm if, gonna... if the player that is considered in good position right. get the ball regardless they they can immediately take a shot. Yep, sounds sounds like makes sense to me. So So any any ballistic skill test made in order to score a goal uh benefit from a plus 10 bonus because it's a larger target. So your the actual goal itself is fairly large. But it does specify that each team is not required to but can choose to keep one of its players back as a goalkeeper. Uh, if a keeper is occupying the goal, any ballistic skill test made to score a goal must be opposed by the keeper's athletics test. Uh, if the keeper wins the test by one success level, they become the player in possession. If the shooting player succeeds by one or more, they score a goal. Yeah, just a quick sum up. Four phases, team phase, movement phase, action phase. And we haven't talked about random event yet. We'll get there. But in in our movement, right on the team phase, you roll on the athletics table, you roll on the brutality table. Both teams do this. Movement phase, you determine which players are going to act or move, and then you have options. Move to mark, change position, move to guard, move to set, get the ball, and stay put. Then in the action phase, those same players that you made that determination on can throw the ball. That's the answer. There's the answer. I just figured it out. Because you can... Throw the ball to a player that does not have an option to to do an action. Right. For example, we have two players each, right? We move them both, and then it's the action phase, right? One of those players has a ball, but one of those two players on my team is not the player that got in a good position. I then throw the ball to that player. Or kick the ball to them. Or, right. And as long the as they take it, yep, then, then they, they shoot. can shoot. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. See? Right. So you can, your actions, you can throw the ball, attack, kick the ball, and shoot. And then we have, I'm sure it's Matt's favorite part of the game, the random event. And uh, the phase that is, will likely resolve the quickest, which is a random event. At the end of each turn, roll on the following table to see if any unexpected uh, events affect play. So you have a 33% chance of nothing at all happening. You might see weather turn bad, cold and or wet weather conditions incur a negative 10 penalty. Uh, randomly selected player uh, slips in the mud, twists their ankle and is forced to retire. Uh, randomly <laughs> selected player has been taking performance enhancing stimulant. They start to benefit from the effects of Reynolds delight. Even um, even your fans can chant to give you yep. bonuses. So essentially at the end of each round, you just roll once on this table and it gives you some some new, you know, something unexpected is going to happen. Fan throws a punch nearby, work out three rounds of combat, you know, 
just just some fun things just to kind of mix things up a little bit. Yep. And then that's it. So that what we just described, right, is one turn. You do 10 of those turns and that's a half. Then you do 10 more and that's another half. And that's the game. So let's talk about a couple of the other rules. Matt, you already talked about kickoff. Yep. Just like you said, right? Opposed athletics test. Winner is in possession of the ball. Pretty simple. Obviously, you're going to want to pick your your best athletic player when making this test to get the best uh, opportunity. But yeah, so that's that's kickoff. And it's that simple. So free players. Free players was a little bit harder to understand. But what you understand, it makes a total sense. So what is a free player, Matt? So a free player essentially is if uh, a player on the opposing team dies or <laughs> is incapacitated uh, for some retired. reason. Retired. <laughs> retired. Yep. Uh, and this this also is going to come up in some of the roles on the brutality table. And on so, the random events table, too. True. So a free player is essentially one that is not being covered, that doesn't have another like a player on the field that's in pursuit of them. So free players almost always opt to move to mark. Um, uh, will almost always opt to move to mark the player in possession of the ball or move to guard. This may mean two players try to mark the player in possession. If this player evades the first, they may attempt to evade the second as well. Essentially, this is just like, uh, you know, you you're on like a breakaway essentially. Right, right, and it also a big part of it too is is the fact that remember in the movement phase you make a determination how many players are moving and acting right Right. um so let's say it's two each right but if you have free players you get to add one and your your opponent doesn't right which is which is huge right it's outnumbering them on the field is essentially what it is yep like like a breakaway where you have a, a much easier shot on goal potentially or at least an opportunity for a big big play Right. And then the last like uh, extra rule is guarding. Do you want to explain guarding? Yeah. So guarding is kind of what we talked about, right? Where you can move to guard in the movement phase. But what guarding is, is um, a player that has the ball is going to subtract 10 from any ballistic skill test for each player that is guarding them. So if you ever at any point are considered to be guarding a player, another player. So when they do that ballistic skill test it's going to be minus 10 for each so in theory right i could have my three players all move to guard right giving you a minus 30 to your ballistic skill test whether you're going to pass or shoot or whatever so how this works is the players will make a challenging athletics test for a thrown ball or a difficult athletic test for a kickball and if they pass the test they take possession of the ball so that's huge. And and to be clear, that's if the, the player with the ball fails their ballistic skill test. So essentially, you fail your ballistic skill test, there's a chance you can intercept it. And each of those players has a chance. So if you there's a there's a big benefit to putting multiple players to guard potentially. Um for sure. And another thing too is this is a in in this specific place, here's a I think one of the few places where you can really see the advantage of kicking over throwing because kicking is harder to intercept sure yep pretty straightforward and then of course we have overtime and how does overtime work so overtime essentially is 
after the second set of 10 turns. So you have the first 10, you have halftime. Then after the second set of 10, the score is even at this point, a further six turns may be played. Score is still level at this point. A penalty shootout is called to resolve the game. Resolve this by rolling on the athletics table and taking the difference of the two teams. A score into account. Any results of zero um, or I'm sorry, of one to 50 means the away team wins. And the result of 51 to 100 means the home team wins. So if at any point all uh, in any point in the game, all players on a team are injured, the other team are declared victors. Which referencing back to mutant league football, that happened fairly often where it would just pop up on the screen when you went to run a play. And it's like, there's not enough players left alive. (laughs) Oh, man. So what do you think, Lance? Having like really dug through this and talked through all of it, Here, uh, would you say that your opinion on it is, is my better opinion, or worse than it was before? My opinion is better, but my my critique that that I feel like this needed a rewrite with more clarity and quite frankly, probably need double the pages if, if we're being really honest. Maybe not double, but an extra page or two, which I'm sure they didn't have the space for. Um, there's just to me, there's a lot of assumption that you know what's going on. And I really, this is the I the third or fourth time I've read these rules and I've gone through them in depth trying to make a team in the whole nine yards. And I feel like it made it difficult. One of the things I did for our game that we have coming up is I made kind of like a little cheat sheet with a player roster and all that. And I feel like that helped. All right. So just kind of coming back to that, your question, do I think it's bits better and stuff? I do. I still think I have a lot of concerns specifically like they ask you sometimes to like m- like you have an option to change position. Well, nowhere in the rules does it tell you where you start. Right. So if I'm going to move from the fullback position to the home midfield position, well, who says you were in the fullback position? When did that get established? It's not like you deploy your your players right? Half of the time, you're really only focusing on a couple players. So it's it's super not clear. I, I have a, and so here's the thing. I think I need to play through it to keep my, so so I, here's a critique I have. Still after doing all this, I feel like it, it needs a little more. There's more clarity that's needed. And there's like, my question is, is like, I kind of feel like they should have given these rules to more play testers outside of their studio outside of cubicle seven to test it sure. and then gotten that feedback because I feel like there's some huge misses here that seem like they are born of people that are that developed these rules and have played them that developed the rules so you know things that they wouldn't notice would be obvious to a play tester that's not played it before isn't obvious to them that's how I feel sure. about it but I'm hoping that playing the game will make those clear. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think it has definitely helped going through and and taking the time to really dissect these rules and get um, just some of the things that weren't super clear before are a little bit more clear now. I think it's all going to come down to actually trying to play, and that's where we're really going to find out the things that work and the things that don't work. Uh, and, and I wonder, I wouldn't be surprised if there's already people in the community that have amended these and added in a couple rules to help make some of that more clear. But I, again, I think playing it is, is the proof's going to be right there. Right. Yeah. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. And uh, if that pudding is uh, mud guts and blood, 
then uh, I think that's Minenball. So let's do it. Alrighty, sounds good. Okay, so uh, just to get started here, so Matt and I have got together, and to give you an overview, we're playing this game um, of Minenball. So for uh, the sake of the fun and everything we're doing, um, we're putting this Minenball game in our uh, in the uh, the world of our actual play, the Old World Podcast actual play. Um, and this game will be between the Zonstadt Leftovers versus... And the Grot Milkendorf Spoilers. Formerly the Grot Milkendorf Milkers, but recently, uh, for some reason, the all the milk in the town has gone sour, so they had to change their name from the Milkers to the Spoilers. And uh, they lost all of their funding, um, and I I feel like at this point, this is this this game kind of represents for them like their chance to have enough food to get through the winter. So they've bet bet everything on it. I don't know. important game. Yeah. So where the uh, my 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 story with the uh, leftovers is they actually used to be several uh, teams in Zonstadt, but now there's very few. And this team was made from the survivors of several other uh, uh, teams after uh, the um, near destruction of Zonstadt. So um, they're the leftovers. Uh, my team colors are yellow and green, and I don't know. Am I going to be home or away? Where are we playing this game, Matt? great question why don't we roll a die Ooh, yes thank you so do it. evens evens grot milkendorf is home odds uh zonstadt is home so i got even so grot milkendorf will be the home team awesome so i'll be away we've traveled out to the tiny little village of grot milkendorf for our game that's awesome so uh we we went ahead and uh, I got I named four of my players um, and uh, I know I have a marking spot for all the rest of them so I'm ready to go I got my my sheet ready my where I'm ready let's I think I think is there anything else we need to go over I don't believe so I think we're good to start for a kickoff yeah <clears throat> the Zonstadt Regional Mucus Qualifiers Elimination. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready for Midden Ball. <laughs> the crowd goes wild. There's <laughs> we look over. Zonstadt brought with them like families that are like it's like a day in the country, right? It's like a holiday for them. Um, Midden Ball is recognized by the new um, Holes family. Uh, government that's it's running it so um they've all come to cheer on their team on the one side and i feel like on the other side there's like an old lady and a cow i was gonna say a cow a couple of farmers <laughs> right a couple of kids and that's about <laughs> it but grot milkendorf is not gonna let that that uh sully their their spirit they're gonna give it their all i'm mm. sure of it We've also taken this opportunity. Uh, several of our patrons uh, have uh, players in their likeness in this game. So you'll hear those throughout. Um, but uh, for the kickoff, my friend, I think um, I, I this is an athletics test. So I think uh, Nathaniel Braun uh, will be stepping up to the center line 
from facing off against the one, the only Clemens Bruchhofer. Nice. So how does this work? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this is an opposed athletics. Opposed athletics. All right. So athletics for an athlete is 65. Let's see. I have, ooh, uh, five success levels. I rolled a 15. I rolled an 89, so I had minus two. So you, sir, have possession of the ball for the first round. Yeah, I'm going to draw a little ball here. Okay. Nice. So I think this takes us to turn one. And first up is the team phase. So why don't you roll first to see what's going on? For, for you, okay. and then I'll roll. Okay, so my A score is 20. And my B score is 19. So, athletics table. I rolled a 49. Uh, and then add the home team's A score. So, I had 49, 59, 69. And then we subtract your A score. Okay, yep. So, sorry, I didn't add it up for some reason. I added it on my B, but my, not my A. So, one, two, Okay, so my A score is 18, and my B score is 21. So, um, so yeah, 18 is my A score. Okay. So, what did I say? 69 minus 18 is going to be uh, 51. So 51 on here is there is no there's no effect this turn. So okay. on the athletics table, there is nothing significant. All right. Beginning of the game. Just getting started. Right. All right. Uh, so I said, are you going to roll brutality or should I roll athletics first? Um, I'm trying to see. Let's see. Team phase. Each team rolls on the athletics table, then the brutality table. Um, so go ahead I and think... roll, roll the brutality, and then I'll roll on the athletics and brutality. After okay. You. Yep. All right. So 23 plus 19 My is going to take us up is... to 42. My B score is 21. Uh, so 42, uh, 21. The away team, which is you, uh, an away team player interposes themselves between the player in possession of and the goal this either counts as guarding or could be used to cancel out the effects of an existing guard whatever most benefits the away team so i guess i'm guarding okay um but between the player in possession and the goal okay so i mean i guess i'm guarding so okay yeah okay cool so all right so then let me roll so what's your a score is 20 20 mine's 18 so i'm going to subtract two from my roll here and i have a 93 so that'll be a 91 the home team player is positioned in the half forward area of the pitch if passed to this turn they can shoot okay man all right so interesting you being the person the in possession of the ball if i can somehow recover like recover the ball or or steal the ball and pass it to that player uh that would be that would be interesting 
Right. Okay, so let me roll. Um, what's your B score? I have 21. 19. 19. So that would be uh, three. No, nine. Uh, 20, 21. Two. two. Three. No, it's three. No, two. Wow. That tells you two. So I'm going to add two to this one. All right, so 78 plus two is 80, which brings me to a home team player interposes themselves between the player in possession and the goal. This either counts as guarding. It's the same one that you got. Um, yep. So what do you what do you want to do there? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think guarding is the right option. Okay. So we'll do that. Okay. Considering you're in possession of the ball, so that does make sense. Okay. So I guess then. Um, so do we need to determine who's guarding? in this position and who is um, in the uh, like, do we need to roll on that determining determining player? So I think it says you're guarding the goal. So the player in the possession of the ball subtracts negative 10 from any ballistic skill test for each player who counts as guarding the goal or another player. So it's not like player versus player. It's just you're, you're guarding. All right, so then uh, next is the movement phase. Okay. Uh, so movement phase, individual players, and how, how many players concerns is recommended? Okay, so any players involved in the game, any player characters. We don't have any player characters in the game. We have the player in possession of the ball, which is one. And there's no free players yet or whatever. So Correct. we each have one, I'm guessing. Yeah, let's, let's yeah. Keep why it don't we just kind of keep it simple? Yep. Okay. So then, uh, so you're currently in your midfield band. So the ball right now is at the away midfield. Okay. So I see. So the away. Yep. Because I'm away. That makes sense. That's I'm going to rate me. I feel like a dry race board. Like if you're playing this in person, a dry race board is everything in this case. Or if you have a a facsimile of some sort of a, I feel uh, like, I feel like we should switch over to roll 20 to put something up. I think roll 20 would really be where this would shine. Yeah. And that, you know, it wouldn't take much to build all of this in. Um, so yeah. All right, so we're basically both going to be making decisions here. Um, and my guy with the ball is in the away midfield, right? So I yep. feel like I am going to change position. Yeah, I'm going to change position. Okay. What are you going to do? I'm going to move to guard. Okay, so this is where things get funky. So we go in order, in the order. So change position is first. We only have two players, right? So mine is change position. I make a challenging athletics test. And um, this is with one of my athletes because that was Nathaniel that has the the ball. Um, So that means that he has... In athletics of 65, man, so good. And I rolled a 16, so 
five success levels. I move one band per success level to maximum my movement, which is B5. So one, two. So I'm going to be in the full band. All the way. I'm yeah, going all the, all the way the down. Way. I'm, I'm going. Um, a player in possession of the ball may dribble it ready to shoot. This incurs a minus 10 penalty to athletics test. Oh, so like if I want to shoot, I need to dribble. So I guess that's what I'll do. So I would have only gotten four success levels, which means I could want to. Well, I still can go to the fullback there. Right. Yep. So, okay. So that's that's what I did. So next would be your move to guard. Well, and so I don't need any test for this, but I can only move two. So that only gets me to the halfback region. But, but um, see from where, right? So what player? So that's. See, that's my problem. I'm right. <laughs> In my mind, we all started at the away midfield. Like that's where the action was. That's where the players are. But you're right that it doesn't. Well, no, because at the start of the game, the, the mucus regulations is like football, right? You're each on your own half. And then the drop ball or the kick ball. And then you go for you, 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 you know, play from that point. So like, see, it's almost like I imagine when they were developing this, they had a, a freaking dry race board and had all 11 players laid out and it made sense. Sure. And uh, if you're I, not doing that, that that's where it gets tricky. Yeah. And all right. So I'm not going to, tr- I'm trying not to be critical. I just want to play it. So, so move, if we assume that I was in my home midfield, I could get you to have, the fullback. You have 11 players in fullback, halfback and home midfield. If one of your players is guarding the goal, which I would assume both of us would have that, we have a player in the, you know, by our goal, right? So, so I think you can move to the same zone. I mean, so I wonder, I'm seriously, I'm seriously considering, Matt, we, we pause this and jump over to roll 20. I, because I'm I'm starting to think that this is going to be two turns and we're going to be like, what the hell is going on anymore? Sure. Let's do it. Okay. All right. I'm going to pause the recording real quick. And you know what? I'm just going to let it go. Man, I'll pause it. Hey, old worlders. Future Lance here. So this is the part where we cut off and try to start our second episode. So as a reminder, the first part of the episode or show here was our first recording where we were going to just go over the rules of Men and Ball. Well, this second part is supposed to be where we actually play a game. It uh, ends up being where we play the game or try to, don't really get far in it, and then give our final thoughts. So um, it's kind of going to be strange. You're going to hear us say, welcome to the Old World Podcast right here in the uh, middle of the show. But that's us starting our second recording session to try to work through it. So if you want to skip ahead to the part where we talk about our final thoughts on Mid and Ball in Woofrup, uh, go ahead and go to the one hour, 37 minute mark. Enjoy. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in fourth edition. Uh, my name is Lance and I'm joined today with Matt. Say hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. 
And we are here on a bonus episode. Uh, so this episode uh, goes in line with our uh, previous episode, which is a review of the Minin Ball rules, um, which can be found on page 143 of the Middenheim City of the White Wolf, fourth edition uh, book. And this episode here is us playing through an actual play of the advanced rules for Midden Ball. So uh, we've talked a lot about the rules. We have some concerns, but we're going to play it through as written. We're going to kind of just push our way through uh, and and kind of learn as you go, so to speak. So, um, yeah. Odds are what you're going to hear is heavily edited. Yeah. As we work <laughs> our way through these rules, we'll make sure to... Uh, cut that down and call it into something that is palatable to your ears. Yep. So a few caveats I want to call out for our listeners uh, before we get started, because we may mention and talk through these as we uh, go throughout. Um, we have printed out cheat sheets for ourselves where it's break down the turns and the phases, um, have all of the, uh, you know, different sections of the field um, and the different types of players like brute, athlete, dwarf, and so to speak. So um, if you hear us reference that, that's something we've created on our own. We also, we have, I'm pretty proud of this. Uh, and, and with the release of this episode, I'm sure you all are going to see our uh, custom old world podcast uh, min and ball field that we've created. And uh, we're on roll 20 right now uh, playing on the old world podcast field. So it looks fantastic, Lance. Yeah, I'm, I'm so it's, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's the little things. It's the little you know? things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Can sit back and be proud of that. This field looks awesome. Whether the game that's about to be played on it is awesome. That is what we're about to discover. Yep. That's right. And uh, thank you all for joining us today. My name is Johan Madenach. Um, Johan and uh, I'm joined today as always uh, with Jerry, Jerry Thorncobble, Gerard, uh, how you doing today on this beautiful, somewhat rainy Zonstadt morning? Oh, I'm doing just fine, Johan. Let's get ready to midden ball. <laughs> Let's get ready to midden ball. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, orcs and goblins, get out of your seats as we're about to play some midden ball. Absolutely. Before we get into the lineups for today's game, um, I wanted to uh, start us off by uh, just thanking our sponsor, Von Holes Quality Lamp Oil. Uh, if your field in pitch is still green, then you haven't used Von Holes Lamp Oil. Our second sponsor for today is Haggard's Finest Metal Sieves, guaranteed to separate your liquids from your solids in no time. Absolutely. Haggard's Finest. That's a quality sieve. I've used one many times. <laughs> I've, I've only ever seen one once, and let me tell you, it was effective. <laughs> so uh, so let's get on to our uh, teams today. Uh, we have the battle between uh, the battle, the, the game, the, the, uh, the Royal Rumble, as it is, between our two teams. On our side, looking at the pitch here today, um, on the right side, sporting their red jerseys, is the Zonstadt Leftovers. They're, they're led today by a couple of star players, and I wanted to point out a few of them. Um, the uh, Giorgio Fuente, uh, he's uh, number nine out there on the pitch. You can see him stretching right now. I'm fairly certain that's an orc intestine that he's stretching his legs out with there. And he's known uh, every game he brings a new orc part uh, to the battle he, he, with his famous saying, 
if uh, if I haven't killed an orc before the game, then I might have to kill someone during it. Pretty sure that's frowned upon by the mucus regulations, but we'll see how things play out. Yeah, that's true. Um, you can also see over there number eleven, Greg Tech Bruni. Uh, Greg Tech is uh, filling in for one of the players who died in a match. Uh, last week with a uh, a very good team from Altdorf, Bruni he's he's had a a, a bit of a storied uh, career here. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? All right, so let's uh, let's get started here with kickoff. Right as you would have it, kickoff is in the middle near the end of the rules um, because that makes sense. And of course, a player from each team is chosen to try to get the ball. Um, and they make oppose athletics tests. So um, I'm going to use, let's see, I'm going to use my athlete, uh, Nathaniel Braun, uh, number one, to do the kickoff. I'll put him up there near the snot ball. All right. Let's see. I'll put in Lil Will is the <laughs> number 14. Lil Will. He's, so he's an athlete. And I'm going to roll for him. Ooh, that looks a lot better. Uh, standard athlete. Uh, what is this? Opposed. So, yeah, opposed athletics, which I have a 40. So it's a 45. And so that's going to be, I had uh, minus four levels of success. So yeah, I had plus two on that. So that means I am. Uh, no, I, yeah, I had a minus two and you had plus two. So yeah, so you win it. Um, you be, so you're in possession of the ball. Okay. And you and begin to play it. in the midfield band, which so looking at the 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 map or the pitch that's listed in the rule book, you're on the home side. Yep. And I'm on the away side. So Yep. And from my end zone essentially, it's fullback, halfback, home midfield, away midfield, half forward, and forward are the yeah. names of the six bands. Which which man, again, this is nope. You know what? No commentary. Let's play the game. So that was kickoff. We now start with the first team turn. Yes. Yes. So that is start with the team phase. Team phase. Yeah. Yep. And each team rolls on the athletics table and the brutality table. So my A score is 20. My B score is 19. Mm, yes. So I'm looking at this. My... A score is 18 and my B is 21. Um, shoot, which is not technically representative of the players we have on the field, but I don't think the players on the field matter as much as the players on our sheet. So I think we're good for that. Um, so I guess let me just kind of, so why don't you go ahead and roll you, you roll yours up first. Okay. So this will be for athletics. Roll the 12. So, Roll D100 and add the home team's A score, then subtract the away team's A score. So I had 12 plus 20, 32, which gives us an away team member is positioned in the away midfield area of the pitch. If passed to this turn, they can shoot. I'm just oh, making wait, some quick notes to try to track this. And I'm not sure. What, what's your A score for my, your team? My A is 18. My B is 21. And what's your A and B? 20 and 19. So it actually, it would be less than that. I rolled a 12 plus 20 is 32 minus you said 18. 18 is my a. Yeah. Okay. So that is what? 14 altogether. Add your yeah home and subtract your way. So it's 
you're just going to add two, right? So yours yep. is 20 minus my 18 is two. So you add two to whatever you roll. Yep, 12. So an away team player is positioned in the home midfield area of the pitch. If passed to this turn, they can shoot. So, okay. This, so here's what I think we should do then. I think we should pull all our players off off the pitch down to the bottom. Everyone's on the, the pitch, but we'll stick players there as near when they're yeah okay does that make sense yep it does and then i'm not sure if that's the best way to do it but whoever wrote these rules had to do something like this had to there's just no way they could have done this game otherwise or, or they'd have to keep incredibly copious notes oh look at you doing everything in order i figured it'd be easier that way to like <laughs> yeah. pull them out if needed yeah no that's you you're being smart that's uh that's this is good my key players, right? So we each listed out four key players, if I remember right. So my yes, key, my key players. Is I right. have Gervasio, Lembo, Clemens, Bruce Hoffer, Lil Will, and Cobgrim Winnett. And mine is Giorgio Fuente, Greg Tech Bruni, Nathaniel Braun, and Bori Gendelson. Okay, so then you rolled that they're in an advantageous position. So I think you should literally take one of your players and put them out there. You know what I mean? Okay. So, so you rolled a twelve in the advantageous position. Well, so that's a, it, like the fact that it talks about away team. You're the away team, aren't you? So the away team player is positioned in the home midfield. Oh. So what it's saying is that yeah, that I should be doing that. Okay, like this. So it'd be like somewhere in here, or no, midfield. Midfield. Yeah, yeah that's halfback. So yeah. all right. See, I already know how I I need to add those words to this one. Okay, cool. Right, so Nathaniel Braun uh, immediately runs forward to put himself in a good position. And then, so now you need to roll on the brutality, the brutality. table. Yep, 66. Add the home team's B score. So 66 plus 19 puts us at 85. And what's your B score? Oh, sorry. My B score is 21. Okay. So it's going to be 64, right? Well, hold on. I rolled 66. Your B score is going to add three. So 69. Wait a second. Um, Subtract the away team's B score. No, it'd be 63, uh, which is the home team show more aggression. Add five to their B score for next turn. So so that brings you up to a 24. Yes, for the next turn. The next turn. So another note that I would make here is I would I I would put a tracker somewhere on this to increase and in, so it's easy to increase and decrease your score, your A and B score for both teams so that both players can track it. Okay. All right. So then that was um. So that's the team phase. Was well, says each team. So then do I roll two? Oh. Yeah. Okay. I guess I do. So roll. Add the home and subtract the away. So 20 and 19. So this is plus two. Going to roll this plus two. Um, 85, 86, 87, which is a home team player's position in the away midfield area of the pitch. If passed to this turn, they can shoot. Okay. Okay. And then add the Do home. Do the same for the B score. Add home. So 19 minus 21. Right, should be minus two. So I'm going to minus two to this roll. 
which would make it, I rolled a 70, so there'd be 68, which is a home team player interposes themselves between the player in possession and the goal. This either counts as guarding or could be used to cancel out the effects of an existing guard. All right, so that's the team phase. Next is the movement phase. Yep, move to mark. Uh, let's see. Players involved decide on which of the following plays to make. So this is this is where we like screeched to a halt the last time that we right. we attempted this because are we assuming that like the only players that are involved are the ones that were included in the roles that we just made? Nope. So any player character that's involved in the game, which we don't have, right? Player in possession of the ball. Right. And then Mm -hmm. in one opposition player for each character and or player in possession of the ball and free players is determined as a result of the team phase. So uh, I don't think we have any free player yet. Okay, so we have no free players, one character in opposition and the character has a ball. So one, we each get one in the movement phase. Right. Does that make sense to you? So in this case, it'll be my player with the ball and your one opposition player right so uh, right okay but then i could attempt to like throw it for example to try to get it to one of the other players that are like out in that like you know instead if i throw to player three he's in an advantageous if passed to this turn they can shoot right to an opposing player see i almost wonder if it'd be better to like and this is where like uh, we could go huge and long with this, but like to not only to have our players at the bottom, but to have them all out of the field. And then as we get like, you know, Oh, this, this player's in an advantageous position, come down here and drop like a blue dot on him. Mm, Right. You know what I mean? So that we know like, Oh, he's got a blue dot or like a green dot. So he's in, you know, he can shoot if I get him the ball that way. Because it's, you know, I was just looking at it like this is tough. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm good with that approach. Our remaining players that currently are not on the field, we just want to put them on the field in our own half? Yeah. Okay. Which I'm struggling right now because, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to stay put, which is plus 10 bonus to ballistic skill. Okay. So what happens is we each make the decisions on what our players is going to do. Okay. And then I guess my active player, <laughs> my active player is going to be, I'm going to hate, let's halo our active players. Does that sound like a good idea? Okay. So these are our currently active players. So what I would do is my, my option would be move to get the ball. Well, nope, that wouldn't work because someone's in possession. Move to guard change position move to mark so i'm going to move to mark the player makes their way to an opposing player within two bands which i'm in the same band this player may try to avoid them in this case a three round pursuit ensues oh god you know what for our first turn i'm not going to do that that seems you know what we're here to learn let me get my core rule book something i didn't think i was going to need today which player are you is your active? Uh, number one. Okay, so the player makes their way to an opposing player within two bands. 
this player may try to evade them, which I'm assuming you would do. Sure. In this case, a three-round pursuit. If the quarry wishes to dribble the ball while moving, they may do so. So I'm already in your band, so I don't know that this would make any difference. Well, yeah, that that's the thing, right? With I'm also trying to imagine playing this without this aid. Like you basically have to have some some sort of aid, but is it like does all that matter is just the bands? Like if you're in the same band, despite the fact that two players could be, you know, up here and down here, they're still in the same band, but they're thirty, you know, or fifty feet from each other. And technically 80, 85 feet from each other. So thirty yards. So instead I'm gonna to move to guard. I can move up to two bands in order to interpose myself between the player in possession and goal or another player. So there, that's what I'm going to do. So, all right. If the player catches, this ends the movement phase for both players. The second player may decide to stay put, in which case the two players mark one another at the second player's position. Which, if you you can decide to stay put, and it would be marked. Okay, whatever. That's That's how we are. So, I move to guard. I get, well, no. I move to mark. To try to mark you. So are you going to run away or are you going to? Well, I had, I had already s- said I would stay put because I want to try to pass it to this player down here at the bottom. Right. But it says the second player may decide to stay put. So I think regardless of your choice, you, you now have an option. Because if you if you don't run, then you're marked. Because essentially this uses up your movement. So I'm forcing you to either use your movement or stay to, to avoid my pursuit or to, or to be marked. What, what is the purpose of being marked? I'm assuming it has something to do with shooting. Um, so there's rules for guarding who counts as guarding. So I think there's some bad words here because I think there is no such thing as mark two players mark one another at the quarry's initial position. Well, mark doesn't mean anything. I'm assuming it means guarding, right? You're guarded. But if you move to guard, so what's the difference between move to mark and move to guard? Uh, guarding. The player in position of the ball subtracts negative 10. That's a unfortunate double negative there. Subtracts negative 10 from any ballistic skill test for each player who counts as guarding a goal or another player. So if you're guarding me, that just means that I have negative 10. So then my question becomes, what is the difference between move to guard and move to mark then? Because move to guard, you can move, I can move up to two bands to interpose themselves between a player and possessing the ball and either the goal or another player or moving to mark. Maybe if you're marking someone, you're interposing yourself between anybody, goal, player, anything. So if if I move to guard, then I probably I have to decide what I'm. Well, maybe it's not a now that that's overly complicated. You end up in a three round pursuit, which is not a simple process. Looking at page one sixty six overly complicated to end up in one of two states either you stay put and you are marked or we run away 
And it says three round pursuit. So, oh, the rounds that's don't just refer like to the game. They refer to the rule set. So, right. So it'd be like opposed athletics. Quarry outruns a pursuer. The quarry may choose a band adjacent to there. So, if I move to mark, you can either stay put and become marked, or you can try to run away, in which case, if you fail, you're marked. And if you succeed, you're not marked. Moving to guard means I can move to guard. And this the difference is two bands. So is move to mark. I, I literally don't understand why I would ever choose to move to mark someone because there is a possibility that you could, I could fail to, to do anything to you. And we're, and at that point we're assuming that marking means the same thing as guarding. I don't see anywhere in these rules that talks about marking unless it's in one of these tables somewhere. They almost need a list of conditions defined right here. The, a player can be marked or guarded or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. What does a marked player, what does that mean? I literally, I, I, I see looking at this, I see absolutely no reason. I don't know. Can you see any reason that I would ever, as a player, choose to move to mark as opposed to move to guard? Isn't like marking. Can't you catch me when you guard? You're just like getting in the way. If you're moving to mark, you're trying to like chase me down and potentially steal the ball away. It's just a really weird way of like move to mark. I, or like move to a, to a point, dribble the ball whilst moving. They may do so, but incur a negative 10 penalty to athletics tests. What would the purpose of that be? Why would you ever choose to do that? I'm assuming if you moved away, maybe move to mark is about attacking players. Think about it. I can move to you and attack you even if you don't have the ball. So maybe that's the difference. And then if you have the ball and you try to run away, you could just leave the ball there. But if you decide to dribble, then you get a subtraction if you want to keep possession of the ball. You're saying that I would have to dribble. If like in, if you were to try to keep possession of the ball, I would say. But I'm, I'm equating it to soccer and not football. Can you run with the ball in this game? Yeah, well, you can throw the ball. Right. So it's some combination of like throwing it and kicking it. Gosh. All right. I moved to guard. I, I I moved to guard. So I moved up. If the ball is not in anyone's possession. All right. Okay, so I can attempt to throw the ball then. And if I'm staying put, I get plus 10 to ballistics. You're taking minus 10. So player in possession of the ball may throw it at a goal or to another player. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to well, attempt to... Th- sorry, do we both decide our actions at the same time, right? So we're, we're oh. moving on to the action phase. I think I think so, right? Okay, you yeah. move to guard. I am staying stay put. Right. Okay, so players involved decide. Okay, yep. So yep. Then throw the ball is the first one. Yep. My action is attack. Okay. So but they are ball. are resolved in the order listed. Right. Yep. So throw the ball is first. Okay. So it's going to be a straight up athletics, or I'm sorry, straight up ballistic skill. Which my ballistic skill with an athlete is 44. That's not too bad. Come on. 97 it's a terrible throw so i assume 
that means that I don't throw it to see if the throw is accurate. Make a ballistic skill test. Difficulty of the test depends on the distance shown in the diagram. A receiving player must pass the athletics test to become the next player in possession of the ball. How? What's the purpose of? So you have to roll to see if the throw athletics. is accurate. Make a ballistic skill test, which I did and I failed. What impact does that have? If I throw <laughs> it and I fail, does that mean that the ball is just like in? <laughs> I'd like to answer your question. It doesn't say. Maybe, maybe, is there a possibility, I know this sounds ridiculous, but is there a possibility that we are looking at these rules way too, too much like an actual game, like a board game or whatever? Maybe I, we I narratively think, need to start making determinations on how this crap is going. I think that that is almost certainly the case, but even still, like, so much of it makes no sense. Right. So like you failed. Okay. Well, what's your degree of failure? We could look at that and then bad. Yeah. Negative five. Try to make up. Well, what did we think happened? What's hilarious and go from there. But then if we are doing that, then my question is, is why do you need four pages of rules for that? Yeah. At that point, why not just point, use the basic rules? Right. You, well, and even you don't even need the, the basic rules is almost, what happens when two teams meet? But if you want to get a little more detailed, you could literally make a, sure, a movement phase and an action phase and literally just, I mean, this game, it needs simplified. Like these athletic tables, all these different things they do, like think of the tracking. That's the, that's the problem, right? They, I feel like they're giving us enough rules to where we know they want us to track all of it and have it be super complicated, but they're not giving us enough for any of it to make sense or any of it to even work, honestly. Right. And you know, like what's the purpose of the entirety of page 145? Yeah. Now imagine, imagine that let's say we play this game, right. And let's just say three player characters are in the match, right? Well, you have three player characters plus a player in possession of the ball, which maybe at this point doesn't happen to be a player. That means four people on each side are doing actions. In addition Right, you potentially have multiple players that are like in a position of advantage based on the athletics and brutality tables, and then you're you're tracking wounds on all of these players. Yet you're not; it's not like you're moving each player on the pitch. We're not moving twenty-two characters, right? So right. It's not like so. It's all very, but it, and it almost seems a detriment to not do that, right? Like, right? Wouldn't the purpose be to, yeah? I think you're probably right that the way to play this appropriately would be to do as much narratively as you possibly can and just like leave it at that. And honestly, that might be our answer here, right? Like, I feel like here we go again. Like we said, all right, before we were going to do a discussion and then we were going to play, we got to not even the end of the first game turn out of 20 and we're nowhere closer than we were before. Like that we've already gotten bogged down literally every step of the way that I, maybe the answer just is it's, it's not playable. Okay. 
do we want to go forward and try other things here? Well, let's can we let's point, finish it's... a turn. I mean, even if we can't do it perfect, we don't have an answer. Let's at least give it that much because I want to roll okay. on a random event table just for fun. Sure. So, so you, you I... failed. You failed miserably. I say that the ball ends up somewhere in the pits between you and your target. Well, how about this? It does say that a receiving player must path and pass an athletics test to become the next player in possession of the ball. What if I just need to pass it with some overwhelming success? Uh, what success levels that you failed by? Negative five. Negative five. So add, add negative five success levels to your athletics test. All right. Let's see if this is even possible. Is it a brute or no, it's an athlete. You're passing it to you. Yeah. So it have to, I'd have to roll a one through five and have it just be, which is an auto success like, anyway. Right. Yeah. So like, it's just a crazy, like wide. Yeah. Because you'd want that, right. You right. want that ability for like what seems to be a broken play to turn into something awesome. Right. So like, I did terrible pass, but Oh my gosh, did he just step on that sheep and launch yep. himself? You know, whatever. Yeah. And and it, the thing it. is like, I can, I can picture all of this happening and it's a lot cooler in my head yes. than it is. Right. Cause like I get the kickoff, you've got a guy, I've got two people that are running out, you know, to get open, you run up to, to block or to guard me and are right in my face. I end up like throwing a really bad pass. that's just like wobbling through the air. My player can't get to it and boom, it hits the ground. And now it's just sitting out on the pitch and you still have the opportunity to attack me. Right. Yeah. Which I'm going to do. So the ball is just in the pitch, but in the meantime, while I was in your face, I'm swinging uh, my fist at your face, right? So now I have this. This dude is an athlete, so it'd be melee brawling, which is a 48. So this would be an opposed test. So I got a minus two. Mm, oh, that looks good. You did really well. So yep, you are also an athlete, right? So yep. That's like a plus three. Yep. And if an attacker. So again, in my head, you come into swing at me. I just dodge out of the way, duck under you. The ball's already out of my hand, but I, right. you know. Right. And did I, I didn't roll doubles. Okay. Cause that would be hilarious. Right. If I fumbled on it. Okay. I had to roll in the oops table. So, okay. So that's that. And snow on the random events. Is that, is that where we are? We're random. Okay. We are, yeah. Each turn, roll in the random. Go ahead. Roll it up, man. I'm going to mark off turn one. 27. Oh, man. Nothing. Nothing particularly unusual happens during this turn. Occurs this turn. Well, which, I mean, honestly, I feel like it should probably even be a higher percentage than that. That one third of the time seems like if, it, almost like half of the time something shouldn't happen necessarily. Right. So, and I almost feel like we're missing a phase here, right? Because all of these players that we like are, should be essentially marking as available for a pass, right? Would, would reset at this point, right? And yeah, so then that's it. That's the end of the round or the turn. And we go back to the next turn and the ball is loose. Yep. I don't know. It's up so, to you. You want to, you want to try another turn or I, well, here's the thing. I don't think it would be out of the question to maybe come at this with a different perspective 
and don't use the rules so deliberately. Maybe don't even use this map as much, although we still really need to, and try to try to play it as to do a lot more narratively. So here's the thing with narrative play. Here's the problem. There's too much bookkeeping, right? If the game were designed specifically like it's a mini game, like a mini real game within the RPG, which is, I think, what it wants to do, right? Then there's too much bookkeeping, right? By the time we're done rolling on these athletics and brutality table, we could have four players marked with specific advantages or specific guarding, right? This player is guarding. This player is hurt. Right, all of that before we even decide what we're going to do. And if we have four, three or four players each that we're moving to mark, we're changing position, we're moving to guard, even in a narrative way, you have to track that, right? If Mm -hmm. I'm moving to get the ball, I'm moving to stay put, like, well, where are you? These rules assume that you know the position of the player currently. So, like, let's say we're doing a narrative and it's all nebulous. Well, If you look at the movement phase rules, any player characters involved in the game, player in possession of the ball, that could change from there is no player in charge in play in in control of the ball. Right. So like, right. Technically, in our turn here, there wouldn't I mean, in order to do something, we need a minimum of one player. Right. So like you could have the number of people that you move around every turn change. So like. Is the intent here to figure out, let's figure out at the beginning of the game, how many players we're actually going to control. And then everybody else is narrative eye candy, right? There are players punching each other and slide tackling and getting open all over the place. But then you run into the same problem where if you look at it, the athletics table and the brutality table assume a massive amount of narrative because all of a sudden, magically, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not like a player can move three range brands in order to be in this position, right? It just says the player is there. Yeah. Right? Where then you get super tactical in the movement phase with how many range bands you can move and are you dribbling or not, that sort of thing. And then it's also not clear about like, if I'm running with the ball in my hand versus dribbling it, why would I do one over the other? That doesn't seem to make sense. It seems like dribbling mm-hmm. is always a bad idea. So I don't know. I don't think the answer is to run this narratively. I think we're going to run into the same problems just backwards. Sure. Yeah. Like, and I'm not trying to shoot down. I I think that here's the thing. Either you and I have completely missed the point of what these rules are trying to tell us, which let's be honest. Could be. We're pretty big fanboys. You have a huge background in board games. Yeah. And well, yes, understanding and interpreting rules, I feel like is something that over the years, especially working and playing games with like with Dustin and how he has to pick rules apart um, that those little tiny little little minutia here and there of like this word, they chose this word to use instead of this word. And that means this instead of that. Like, yeah. You're right. I have a I have a pretty strong understanding. And I've played Warhammer Fantasy Battles and yep. massive arguments happen in stores in 40k and fantasy based on a single word in the rule book. Reading rule books is there's like law um rules lawyers is a huge yep. thing, right? Oh yeah. And so 
I here's here's what I think. I don't want to waste our time scheduling another attempt at this, man. I really mm. don't. I I, yeah. I don't think if this is what I think. We're not stupid. We are huge Warhammer fans. We've been hardcore for this system for a long time. These rules are not usable in their current state. If they are meant to be narrative, it should tell us that. The it should point out how, what we should do. If they're not meant to be narrative, this is a crapshoot. This is poor and play testing. Play testing. Yeah. This this you cannot tell me that this was play tested. And if it was, where's the other 12 pages of rules that apparently they cut for space? Like Right. Th- there's no way. This is not a com- either this is an incomplete rule set or no, it's not complete because even if it was complete, like, look, look at all the effort we went to, to track, right? We have a custom sheet that shows our turns and overtimes in all the phases and oh, yeah. plays everything out. And as I, we've been playing, even in one thing, I wrote notes about things I need to add to this. I need to add range bands. I need to add a wound tracker for every single player because they can get wounded and get hurt. And probably a note section. By the time we'd be done, let, let's say if you and I said, "Hey, let's take all of these, all of these rules, and let's make a kick-ass, fully integrative, like board game style game out of this." First off, I think we would double the page count at a minimum, and second, the amount of tracking we'd have if we were to not cut any rules, the amount of tracking we'd have to put into this would be ridiculous. I think. I think the at that point, is, how much different is this from Blood Bowl? Like as far as rules wise. Or are they identical as far as like actual theme and blood, I mean, it is very Blood Bowl ish. Yes. This is like essentially Blood Bowl for the fantasy in world equivalent. Blood Bowl isn't like technically canon, right? But like mm. I I here's what I think, man. These rules need a rewrite completely. They need to be play tested and rewritten and they need to decide what they are going to be. Is this going to be a narrative table system where we're going to use tables and narrative and we're going to make it simpler and less about tracking all of these things? Yeah. And make it sound exciting. Yeah. Cause that's all, all it needs. Or is it going to be a, a very simple tabletop game that they're building into an RPG? Cause that's essentially this this could be a miniature game, a super simple miniature game, and I would have been on board. If you yeah. had, had me track 11 players and play a super simple miniature game within yep. our RPG, I would have been on board. If you would have made yeah. this completely narrative where I don't have to do all of this tracking, eliminate all this tracking, just make me have some cool tables to roll on, make me make some important decisions during each turn that can affect the outcome based on my stats, make me make tests, but don't make it complicated. Don't make me go and figure out the freaking pursuit rules in the middle of this. Come on. Yeah. Come yeah. on. I, I have to say completely. I, I don't know, Matt. That, yeah, it's, it's like you said, I think you said it best in its current form. It's, it's just unusable, which is unfortunate. We've, we've tried multiple times now and we have gotten nowhere in hours worth of, of attempts. Yeah. in in hours of prep too. I've made guides. I've made. Yeah. Oh yeah. To our listeners. I wish you could see what I'm looking at right now because it is a beautifully like detailed image of a midden ball pitch with range bands, with yard markers, with our logo on it. And 
two hours later, we barely made it through the first round. So here's a question that I think our, our listeners deserve to hear our thoughts on. All right. I, I love mid and ball. I love everything about mid and ball. I want to use it in my game. How do I make this usable? This is the easiest question I've ever had to answer. Use the basic quick play rules. Like I can tell you one thing reading through that single paragraph and knowing that it's just, you know, uh, if you wanted to use it in your game, use those rules, make the tests. And after every test describe what's happening. Yeah. Then it's, you can have it be exciting. You can, you know, if you have a crazy good role where someone fails really bad on defense and scores or rolls really good on offense, then you've got a big play. Describe it narratively, you know, roll again and you're just continually going back and forth and, and see how that plays out. I think, I think for this being a role-playing game where it shouldn't be, you know, you for, for doing something like this, unless you're doing like a big involved combat, you're not going to want a printed out field on the table with tokens for all the players with some way of keeping track of wounds and advantage and who's, you know, who's, the player that came up in the athletics table or the brutality table thinking about the number of like tokens and markers and things that you'd need. It would be almost impossible. Whereas, you know, if you've seen, if you ever watch soccer or football, American football, you know enough to make this sound really exciting. Yeah. That's really good advice, man. Um, I would add that don't be, don't curtail your, your players too. If this is going to be an important piece of what's going on, I mean, if your players are like my players, they're going to find ways to poison, maim, hurt the other team before the game even starts. You know, and that's yeah, that's where the fun is always going to be, yeah. right? In all the role playing games, it's about those moments where, like, you know, the unexpected happens. Right. So, like, if you put a bomb inside the ball or something, right, or so, or you rig it so that the snotling that's actual real snotling in the ball because they're diehard, you know, players that want to play the game the way it was meant to be played. But you loosen the rope so that it's the goblin is, or snotling escapes partway through, you know, or whatever, you know, build that in. It's easy. So, guys, instead of this round, instead of doing this, I need you to make this test and this test as a GM. You, you need to give me a strength test or give me a, you know, give me a mechanic. I say mechanics, but you know, maybe halfway through the game, you can do that or halftime, have your, have your noble give an inspiring speech and yeah. have them test for it or the noble servant. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are rules for public speaking and then narratively decide how that's going to affect. Maybe it'll give them a, a bonus to the next, the starting round after halftime. This is, I, I, I love the folks at cubicle seven. But this was a swing and a miss. I agree. Um, and I think I think one of the shining lights or the shining stars in this is that rain of events table at the very end. And yeah. I know I'm a broken record because I say it all the time, but like use that in your game. There's nothing in there that is like so specific that you couldn't use that even with this the quick play rules. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. After every round uh, on the quick play rules, roll on the random events table too, just to yep. see. And then narratively decide how it affects your next roles. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, I, I really, I want to, I want to say that this is awesome and we had so much time. I want to, I want to so badly, but I can't. This is, in my opinion, this is three pages at least of, of wasted space. Yeah. And yeah. That would have been just as, just as easy to not include it. Right. So, and I don't know what happened. Or, or to have it, have it right in the, we're talking about Middenheim. Middenball is something that happens in world. We don't need, didn't need like, bigger more specific rules on how whoa, to play whoa, whoa. It, don't, get, it, don't get me wrong well, if this was done right i would be raving about it <laughs> so but but as far as looking at this as a finished product and part of the book that it's included in yeah this doesn't add anything because it's not good it's not really usable well, whereas they fair, could have given us a couple pages of like lore and history of mid ball some of the historic players the fields and why they're important and you know stuff like that can still be really interesting but yeah as far as these rules go in a playable form it's just not there yeah so i don't know if stuff got cut and reworded and then we lost some of the meat of how the game is supposed to work because the way it reads right now is this reads as somebody's pet project that was either never played or never play tested outside of their own group yep didn't meet the deadline you know no two ways about it. It just wasn't play tested well enough to make it work. Yeah. Or people that were play testing it went into it with a completely different mindset of how it's supposed to go and how it's supposed to feel, which if that's the case. And in old worlders, if we're wrong, if we're missing something and you're like, you guys are off the hook, you have no idea what you're talking about. These are great rules. Let us know. Send us an email at questions at oldworldpodcast.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on Facebook. We want to hear about it. We want to hear how have your games. Have you tried these advanced rules? And you and you guys are saying, Lance and Matt, you guys are crying. Please, babies. yeah, we please tell hear. us why we're wrong. Yeah. yeah, I want to know because I want these rules to work. Heck, even Kyle in our group discovered these reading through the book the other day and was sending a text saying, "We need to play mid and ball." And I can't wait to play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too, buddy. I can't wait to play. Can you? Uh, <laughs> Tell us how that's supposed to go or <laughs> So overall the concept is good. Um Matt and I have given you ideas and GMs on how to maybe use the rules and expand upon them, but our our basic layer is, it boils down to um use the quick rules, expand it with narrative decisions as any good GM should. Yeah. Um build it into your story. And if you're going to do the advanced rules, then my recommendation is you're going to have to make your own rules. You're going to have to expand it. You're going to have to clarify it. Or every time you come across a rule that doesn't make sense, you're going to have to make a call as a GM or as a players. And be prepared for the first time you do these rules to bog down to a halt. You're gonna, nothing's going to move forward as everybody's trying to figure out what to do when the rules that you need are really not there. Yep. But with some rewrite, I think this could work. Um, I know personally I would eliminate some of the options and make it simpler and and make a few conditions or statuses for players. Just sure, let's yeah. track some stuff, but let's keep it simple. It's one of the your one of these three things, you know, something like that. Either either make it a super simple board game or make it a complete narrative thing. Pick one. That's that's yeah. how I feel like it, it you could save this on using the advanced rules. But, yeah. 
All right, I think we're talking in circles now. That sounds good. Yeah, did sounds did good. you have anything else to add, Matt? No, I don't think so. All right, so Old Worlders, again, let us know your thoughts. Let us know your, your experience with these rules if you've had a chance to run them. And other than that, I guess this is Lance saying, may your snotling be fresh and your pitch be muddy. Nice. This is Matt saying goodnight. And if you're interested in trying a sports-themed game that I've played and can vouch for, uh, First and Goal is an excellent representation of American football. I'm pretty sure it's pretty widely available. They even have, like, booster decks for different teams and such. So that uh, would get my recommendation if you're looking for a, like, football-related game to play. All right. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC.